appreciate it. Um, if you uh, will turn in uh, what you have uh, to Luke 19. And so the scripture um, that Alec uh, read is, uh, is uh, one of the scriptures that we'll have for this evening. But let me pray for us and uh, we'll, we'll jump in. Um, as I, uh, Father, as I heard Brigham um, singing well and loudly uh, that your mercy is more, uh, I'm reminded of how much uh, we need your mercy. Um, when I think about what you want uh, from this world and the, and the hopes and the dreams that you have uh, had and have for us, uh, Father, you're so generous and so patient um, with your mercy. And so, Father, tonight, would you be merciful on us and teach us, uh, Lord, that we may live in this world in the way that you want us to. Father, that we may see things as you see them. We may uh, love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Father, will you show us uh, that there is a better way, your way, uh, as we talk about repentance this evening. Lord, bless our time. I ask these things in your mighty name. Amen. All right. Maddie, very impressive with the throwing, by the way. Very, very, uh, very impressed. Um, so last week we had a discussion um, about Jesus teaching that we, uh, we must be born again. And this semester, as I speak, as others um, will speak, we are uh, focusing on First um, John 2, 6 is, Whoever says they are in Jesus must walk as he did. And so we want to, uh, the things that he asks us to walk in, he tells us about. And so we're walking through uh, commands that he has. And these first couple um, that we're looking at, uh, being born again or repentance, I want you to focus um, that they, it can be, um, these can be uh, convicting times, but I want them to be times where you um, are learning. And so I want you to think that, hey, I want to know what God, uh, God is trying to teach me about repentance so that I can know that I can do that and why. And so tonight I want this to be more about clarity and then as the Lord moves, I pray that you would um, respond. So when we repent, we do so in faith. And when we have faith, we repent. They are two sides of the same coin and cannot be separated. I also want you to think about, as you think about repentance, is this idea um, that we need to notice that, that I will now, so this includes me and you, that I will now and forevermore need to keep repenting um, as an ongoing act in my relationship with Jesus. So there's a way in which as I come to him, that I come and I need him to wash me clean, that I'm not clean, that I've never been washed by him before. But then there's also a way that after he does that, that I need to get comfortable coming back to him again and again uh, to be washed clean, because that is his relationship with us, right? He seeks to clean us, he seeks to reconcile us, and he seeks to give us new life. Um, and so the goal is this week, of this week is the same as last week, for you to understand what Jesus wants you to do. And so our call uh, to repent um, is as needed, uh, but he also calls you to call others to that as well. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, just kind of four uh, answer four questions like we did last time. So the first one is uh, understanding why Jesus calls us to uh, repent. And so as opposed to putting scripture on here, there be, should be a slide that just has um, 
just has some scripture, and I want you to focus on maybe going in your uh, in your Bibles or whatever you have and marking uh, what we have there. So curiously, in my own spiritual journey, um, I, as I shared some last week, um, after I was born again, I came up into this process as I was seeking to disciple and counsel others um, that I was having a hard time kind of explaining salvation. Um, and it began this process for me um, just almost reading scripture the first time because I really, um, I had read it before, but I was coming back to it again, trying to read it like I had never read it before. And the scriptures uh, that I'm going to point out to you are ones that, uh, that kind of came up to me over and over again that I really wanted to understand them. And so the first one uh, needs some context. So in Matthew 4, 17, if you want to turn there, um, it, describes, uh, it describes Jesus' preaching as summed up by this phrase. And it's a phrase he said uh, a lot, but um, it, uh, 4.17 says this, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so that was the summation of what he came to say. That as I share with you just that idea of that verb, I call, call you to repent. As he calls me to repent, I want you to hear that, that God is coming and saying, um, however you're living, I want you to understand that there's a different way to live. Okay? And so he says that to everybody. Right? He said that to the religious leaders. He said that to the moms who didn't, who didn't really do anything wrong. He said that to the little kids. He said that to the old people. He said that to the rich and to the poor. And so how I want you to hear that today is not like, I wonder if he's talking to the person next to me or behind me, right? But he's talking to me that every time I hear that, either he's calling to repent for the first time or he's calling me to repent of something in my life that may be uh, keeping me from relationship with him. But the, the, the takeaway is that this is the summation of Jesus' preaching. And from then on, Jesus began to preach and he didn't stop preaching. Repent for I'm here. He goes on and says uh, the same thing in Mark 1.15, the, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. In this message, he adds this idea that as I repent, right, he's asking me then to do something else. It's not just stop what I'm doing, right, but then believe in him. And the insinuation is that I need to stop living in the way that I'm living in order to believe and place my faith in him. He's saying, I want you to be changed in your inner life and trust the news that the king of the universe is here to make it right. In Luke 5.32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is not that there's a, a class of people uh, that need to be saved, but, it's, uh, but he's saying that there's a class of people that know they need to be saved, but all need to be saved. And so all of us need to see ourselves as sinners to hear that message that he wants us to hear. In Matthew 12, 41, he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now he's talking about the uh, story, if you're familiar with it, of the Old Testament prophet Jonah, that God called to preach judgment to the, uh, to the country of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a wicked city. And he said, hey, I want you. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to... Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't call judgment just to like 
strike it down. He calls judgment and says, look out. He does this out of mercy to say, hey, judgment is coming, and the insinuation is, if you don't change. And as Jonah said, in 40 days, Nineveh will follow those people, even though he said it reluctantly and probably under his breath. 40 days and you'll fall. I really, really hope they fall. They actually heeded God's word and they repented. And so as he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And he says, hey, the people that you think are worse than you repented when they, uh, when they heard that they were under judgment, will you? And someone greater than Jonah is here to ask you to do that. And lastly, Luke 13, as he's telling some people who are curious about what it means to be, um, like who is going to be judged, he says this to them, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish as well. And so all of these teachings bring us to this idea that nobody is outside of the call, right, to uh, to need repentance. And so a popular author says this, the first command of Jesus' public ministry was repent. He spoke his command indiscriminately to all who would listen. It was a call for radical inward change toward God and man. So as we see that he calls all to that, that nobody's outside the escape of that, whether we are in Christ or whether we're not yet in him. The second question I want to ask is, what does it mean really? To be clear. So there's another slide that shows uh, the Greek word here is metaneo. And it means, we, in English it means repent, but here's, here's what we mean, kind of the totality of what he's looking at. So meta means to, to move or to change, right? And to change what? He actually says our, our inner man, right? Everything that makes up our mind, our thoughts, our perceptions, our dispositions, right, our purposes, that when he calls you, say, I need you to move the core of your being because the core of your being is keeping you from me because the core of your being is from, is out of, is from, is from, is that from which we act, right? So we do all sorts of things, but do we understand that what's the source of our actions, how do we make decisions is out of our inner person. And so when he says that from that point on, he began to preach, I need you to change. I need you to move in your purposes, in your perceptions, in your thoughts, and in your mind. Now what needs to change? As he calls us, he asks for it. And what will this produce? Luke 3, 8 says, Therefore, produce fruit in, uh, consistent with repentance. Because what he's saying is, is, as our inner person is changed, then our actions will change. Anybody ever thought about why I can't? There's certain things that I like doing. There's certain things that I continue to do out of selfishness, out of laziness, out of bad habit. And yet I try to change these things. I try to change the habit. I try to not say the thing that I don't want to say. 
And yet over and over again, as we through shield willpower can't quite do the thing, it's because we haven't fixed the issue is that I, I do those things out of my inner person. I'm just trying to change my actions. And so that's why he calls all. He says, guys, I need, I need, you need movement and you need change in every part of your inner man. When we actually change on the inside, our actions and our deeds change. Jesus is saying that we must change inwardly. Now in the scripture that we read, I'm going to read it again, and I want to look at some, um, some marks of repentance. So we can look at what actually is changing as we hear the call and we want to do that. What is the Holy Spirit doing us kind of step by step, helping us uncover the things that are in our heart that are causing us to do the things that we don't want to do? And so just real, read real quickly again from Luke 19. And uh, it should be, uh, we can put it on the screen. He, uh, talking of Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. as was a man uh, named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So just in case anybody doesn't know what a tax collector is, it was a person from the area. So Rome would come and take over an area, and then he would enlist indigenous people, the Jews in this point, to work for them. And now, I don't know if, about you, but if somebody conquered you, and then you went and worked for the conquerors, your friends would probably not love that. Yes? Yes. And so how they made their money is they would collect taxes. Rome said what the taxes were, but how they made their money is to say, if I owed you, if you owed the, um, if you owed the state $5, I could say you owed whatever amount I wanted to, and I pocket the difference. And so the scruples of the person were in play as they decided, right, that whatever they said was based upon how rich they got. And so he was a chief tax collector. He was very good at this. And it said that he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd. And so running ahead, he climbed up to a sycamore tree to see Jesus because people had heard what Jesus did. They wanted to see him. They wanted to see if he'd do anything else. And as he was passing by that way, Jesus came to the place. And he looked up into him and said, Zacchaeus, who he'd never seen before. He knew his name. And he said, I must come to your house. And so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully, this man that he had only heard of. And all who saw it began to complain because they knew who he was. Jesus has gone to stay with this sinful man, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I will give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. And Jesus replied, Salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Interesting piece of Bible trivia. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus declares someone saved using that specific language. Here, the, uh, if you've ever uh, read the story of the woman with a bottle of perfume that comes in and wipes Jesus' feet with her tears, um, he exclaims, something over, uh, exclaims that thing, same thing over her, and then the man on the mat whose friends dig a hole in the house and lend him down to Jesus to heal him, he says that as well. But he says it to Zacchaeus. What, a, what an interesting thing. So we need to pay attention. Now, as he declares him saved, right, as he declares him that he has new life, 
He is also declaring that his sins are forgiven. Now, we use the word sin and we toss it around, and I want to use a different word as I'm just talking about this real quickly, as I want to use this word, missing the mark. Because sin is this loaded word that we have that is always uh, denotes that he wants me to do stuff, he, he wants me to stop doing stuff that's fun or that I enjoy. But I want you to understand that, that sin, this loaded word, it really is just a, uh, a way to express that God has created a particular life for you to live, in a particular way, a good way of life, and we have chosen a different way that misses the mark of what he's asked us uh, that he wants us to live, okay? And so when we say it like that, that there is actually a positive that he wants to hit, not just stop doing these bad things or stop doing these things that people tell me are bad. I think that's helpful and was helpful for me because I, I, I couldn't lean on that of just being mad at what God didn't want me to do, but there was a thing that he wanted me to do and I wanted to learn what that was. So the first thing we see in Zacchaeus's life is that, and, and we need to have in our life, is that we need to know, right, we need to have a knowledge that I am missing the mark. That the way that I'm doing things, the way I'm living, the decisions I'm making are not what God wants. Not just because he's the fun police, but because he wants you to love people. And if people aren't being loved, his life is not being lived. Have we ever thought about that, that a lot of the things that I do, let's call them neutral, though they're not, right, are keeping us from doing the positive that God wants us to do. It's not just like, hey, everybody, don't do bad stuff because I'm watching, right? Anybody seen that? I have this favorite sticker, and it said, I saw that, right? The first thing that we from, see from Zacchaeus is he has a knowledge that there's something that he's missed. Right? This knowledge that my life is not what it should be. Are we going to look at the scripture? Where do, we, where do we see this? We see this in the way that he approaches Jesus. That he's excited to tell him, right, about what he's going to do. See, as we get into the, the individual steps, we see that there's a heart change that has decided hey, I, I know what I should be doing or I know what I shouldn't be doing and I'm doing that or I'm not doing that. My life is not as it should be. And I think this is why Zacchaeus began to look for him and began to make some changes. So the second thing we see besides him acknowledging that he's not going the right way is we see that, um, that it produces sorrow for Mark missing. I want you to think about the last time that you um, either did something that you um, know that you shouldn't have done, right? Or you had the opportunity to do good and you didn't. Right? I want you to think of both things, because it's not just right, not doing the bad, but it's not also not doing the good. I want you to think about that. And when we think about that, it should produce sorrow in us. That until we understand what the good is, 
We're not sorry that we don't do it. And so I think this is a gift from God, right? As he calls us, if somebody told me to repent, I've never really heard, like I didn't uh, know uh, every bit of what that word means, but something in the Holy Spirit knew that, uh, knew what was going on in my life and he brought conviction. So we need to acknowledge that we have, that we have missed the mark. And the second thing is, is, ask ourselves, is that mark missing, does that produce sorrow? So I think in Zacchaeus' life it had to, right? Because why is he going and seeking out Jesus in the way he has to? He's not, he, he's, as, as far as the world is concerned, he's doing well. He has a job, he's uh, the boss in his job, and he's rich. What else is there to want? And yet he's unhappy with this. I believe that he's sorrowful because he heard this message that Jesus preached. Repent, Zacchaeus, for the kingdom of God is here, that there is another way. Thirdly, I think we see in Zacchaeus' life that repentance produces a confession. See, as we acknowledge it and we feel sorry for it, there's this third step that we need to confess it. Have any of you um, done something that was not super nice to somebody? Maybe when you're young, your mom calls you out. He says, hey, you need to say you're sorry to your brother, your sister, your dad, your dog. But you just couldn't bring yourself to do it. Why? Why is it so hard to confess what somebody just saw you do? <laughs> Why do you think? Somebody, somebody holler at me. Pride? Isn't pride a funny thing? Like I saw you hit. You know, she saw, mom saw, and we're like, I didn't do it. <laughs> hey, just say you're sorry. Just say, I hit you, I shouldn't have done that, and apologize. What does it mean to confess? It means to acknowledge. It means to publicly acknowledge Right, that it was wrong. Well, what's that first step? Acknowledge that I missed the mark. Hopefully comes sorrow from that. From sorrow comes confession. Acknowledging publicly of what I have felt in my heart and what I have acknowledged in my heart. Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded anyone and he knows that he did, the fourth thing we see from someone that is repentance is that it leads in our life to a breaking off of the thing that we need to repent of or the life that we need to repent of. Zacchaeus goes on after he says, if I have defrauded anyone, what she does, and he says, I will give back four times as much. See, I think oftentimes in our, in our life, right, we are simply sorry for what we have done, but we're not prepared, right, in our hearts to go uh, the next step that God is calling us to go. Amen? That it's not good enough to just acknowledge it, 
but that we need to break up with that thing. We need to die to it. We need to put it away. If I have defrauded anyone, I will give back four times as much. Could you do that if that's not something that you actually wanted to do? It's not just, I promise, I promise, I won't get it. Here's all the money that I stole, and here is is with interest. You can't do that, right, without breaking up with it. Two more. Repentance produces hatred or dislike for not doing what God wants. Before that remark, he says, half of my possessions I give to the poor. Remember, he was rich. If he gives his possessions to the poor, he won't be rich anymore. Again, it's not just feeling bad. It's not just confessing. It's not just stopping and cutting off the thing that he's calling me to cut off. Right, but it's walking away from that life. And then finally, the person turns to God for new life. Remember before he said anything, he called him Lord. So we say Lord, but he saw him and he acknowledged him as master and authority over him. Before he explained all the things that he did, and he's not doing it in a closet, a crowd of people who are thinking, who is this dirty rascal that thinks he's going to eat with Jesus? So I want to um, work you through a scenario and then we'll close. So I want you to think about what you're doing, right? What may God may be calling you to do differently. I want us to think about why we need to be to understand uh, why God's mark that he wants us to hit is good. So let me see how I can do this. So God created the world for life for it to flourish, and for it to be sustained. Right, so he created it for life to happen, for that life to continue, right, and for it to be healthy, right, and to continue as he created it to do. To put another way, he wanted the creation to fulfill its intended design and purpose. And for it to do that, there must be order, there must be life, right? And there must be a reason. Now, God wants us to live in a specific way. And when we do the things that he calls us to do, when we live the way he calls us to live, here's what's produced. Order, life, and purpose. I want you to think about the things that you do that you probably shouldn't do, do they produce order in your life and other people's lives? They don't, do they? Order is it happens as it's supposed to, it's good, it makes sense, everybody wins. But so often the life that we lead has nothing to do with that. It's what I want to do. It's what feels good to me. 
I win. So when we do what God wants them to do, we have order, we have life, and we have purpose. We hit the bullseye that he wants us to hit. See, God says run the route. He's the quarterback. If you run the route that I tell you to run, I'll throw you the ball, you'll catch the ball, you'll score a touchdown. But what missing the mark or sin is, is that I run the wrong route. He's trying to throw the ball to me, but I'm nowhere to be found. I'm not available to catch the ball. So instead of contributing to order, life, and purpose, we're not available to do the things that he wants us to do because we're doing our own thing. And so this is why God said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that new life is at hand, it is available to you. Do you want to move and change in accordance with it? The way you've been living, right, is away from me. This is what life looks like away from me. I want you to understand that there's other life, better life available with me. When we don't run the route, we contribute to disorder because that is what's supposed to happen. Touchdown. But God's touchdowns aren't happening when we're doing our own thing. We're, not, we're contributing to disorder. We're contributing to doing things that don't promote life. And we're doing things for our own purposes. God's touchdowns are not being scored. The bullseye that he wants us to hit, we're not hitting. And there are consequences to that. So quick question. If you spent a lot of time planting a garden and you hired gardeners to maintain and cultivate that garden, and those gardeners quit maintaining it and damaged your garden, would you be happy about that? See, I think, and this was true of me, I don't know if it's true of you, but when I think about what God wants me to do, I would often think selfishly about, like, what does it matter? Like, who, why do you care <laughs> what I'm doing over here? Just let me be. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm young. Just let me live my life. But yeah, he's the gardener. And he doesn't, and he sees what you don't see. Is that he longs for you to be in his garden, tending his stuff, helping it grow, and you're doing anything but. You're literally just creating havoc. <laughs> and God looks at that world, and that's when he comes into it and he says, You need to change for my world to change. I can change you. I can show you what life really looks like. Life of order and life of purpose. Two other scriptures I want you to look at and I'm going to ask you to do an activity to unpack this for yourself. 
So the last thing I want to share with you is that there's a difference between conviction and repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 says this, Now I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because your grief led to change. For you were grieved as God will, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. See, God says this change of our inner person, our perceptions, and our thoughts, and our disposition, right, leads to what he calls salvation. And the salvation is without regret. But anything that grieves us in the world causes death. That doesn't lead to this. In Acts 2.37, we hear Peter, after he uh, preaches to the people at Pentecost in Jerusalem, the large crowd, and they shared Jesus with them, and he, he called them to repentance, and they heard this. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brother, what should we do? And what he asked them to do is what we need to do. Here for the first time or again, he says, Repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, you will receive the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, and as many as the Lord God will call. And so with many other words, he testified and urged them strongly, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. See, if we don't heed God's words and repent, then we are this corrupt and perverse generation. We stay included in it. How I would describe my life away from God was disordered, unhappy, non-life-giving. And what he calls me to is the opposite of those things. What he calls you to is the opposite of those things. Do you want to stay in the generation that is leading you, that values disorder, no sense of purpose, and death? Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. Before the activity, I want, um, I think this is on the screen, that there are those in here that have never gone through these steps of repentance, that have not acknowledged, right, that I'm a mark misser. That this acknowledgement hasn't produced sorrow, that the sorrow hasn't produced confession, that this confession hasn't broken off that which I need to stop. That I need to find a hatred for those things that I need to stop, and that those things lead me all the way to God. But there's also some that have been washed once, have come to Jesus, have come through these steps, have come to initial faith. But somewhere along the way, right, we have missed this idea that I need to continue to be washed, that it was so long ago, I was clean, but now I'm so dirty and I'm so embarrassed and I don't know what to do. And he says, to you, come. The same thing that was true the first time is true the second time. Come. So repentance for us is both a defining moment and a lifestyle. 
So I want you to take a minute. And these, um, these things that we have up here, I want to take a minute, uh, like we have the past couple times, get your phone out, notebook. And I want you to take stock of where you are in these steps. I want you to be really honest with yourself. If it is your life that I haven't given, that I'm not done with this life of Mark missing, where am I in that process? Do I have knowledge of it, but I'm not sorrowful for it? Am I sorrowful for it, but I'm not, uh, I'm not ready to confess it? And so just think where you are with yourself. I'll pray with you, play some music for just a second, and I want you to, um, to, to make some notes to yourself about where you are um, in that process. Father, as we spend a few minutes in discussion with one another and sharing about, um, about this idea of repentance, Father, about doing uh, my life differently uh, than I have been doing it, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us clarity. Father, that the lumps in our throats or the things that I don't want to acknowledge, Father, that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would bring to our mind and you would, uh, and you would grant us repentance, full repentance and awe of those things. Of a life away from you, Father, or of something that I'm holding on to that's keeping me from healthy relationship with you. And so, Lord, give me, uh, give me bravery, give me confidence, right, to write those things down and to think about where I am so that I can get right with you. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.